You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Yeah, well, it's great to be back with the rowdy one o'clock service, whether you're worshiping here in the cameo or online. One o'clock, not messing around, are you? Well, uh, before we get into the teaching segment, I wanted to invite a dear friend up here. Margo, would you come up here with me? And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Margo's journey. She uh, grew in her faith here at City Tribe Church. She was a volunteer eagle here for many, many years, and then uh, she spent a good number of years here as one of our staff members. And from time to time, you know, God just has a different season for people, and God has led her to uh, move on and do something else vocationally, uh, but she'll always be in our hearts and a part of the tribe. But I just wanted to kind of stop the train and honor Margot publicly and let her know how much we love her. And. And I want you to know that you may not know it, but you've been served by this woman. Many of you were baptized at, you know, baptism services that Margot helped put together. And she's done so many things behind the scenes that even I've not seen. And there are things most of us will never see that she's done to help people grow in their relationship with Christ here. But God sees Margot and he knows. And today... Um, Hang on. Um, we just want you to know you'll always be loved here, and you're a precious woman of God, and we just honor you. So thank God for you. Thank God for you. So. Yeah. See, that? See that? Okay, now go sit down before I lose it, all right? <laughs> sit down before I lose it. And what do you say? We pray and just... Uh, Bless Margot through prayer and ask God by his spirit to move here today. Father, we thank you for your gift to the world that is Margot Garza. And as a tribe group and a spiritual family, we pray your blessing all over her in her all her future endeavors, in her health, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And Father, as we go before your holy word to study it today, we ask you by your spirit to help us grow closer and more intimate with you. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus, everyone said, amen, amen. Well, as we study about identity today, you know, some years ago when I was younger, I was a youth pastor and I would watch teenagers, middle and high school students who were trying to find their identities. And maybe you have observed this, like in your high school or middle school where they're kickers, you know what kickers are? The kids that like are trying to be like a cowboy or whatever like that, you know, like a kicker with the boots and the hat and all that, buy a truck. And then there's the skaters. Uh, any of you girls want to date a skater boy or whatever? Uh, then the, there's the jocks, you know, those are the guys that are good at sports or whatever. And then there's the rockers. You got to love the Jack Black rockers, you know. Then there's the punkers. Anybody know a punker? Mohawks and 
all of it. And then one of my favorites watching were kids that were emo. You know, they're really into Twilight and that kind of stuff, Twilight movies and all that kind of stuff. And the, the emo, you know, they wrap the hair around it, kind of depressed, listen to Depeche Mode, you know, this kind of thing. And I, I, uh, I think about, uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And every year around the playoffs, I turn kind of emo if the Cowboys lose, you know, it's kind of sad. I just want to swoop my hair over and, and cry, you know. But anyways, and there's, the, uh, for, besides the emo, there's, the, the rappers, right? And so, uh, anybody old enough to remember Crisscross? Anybody? Crisscross? Woo! Look, young people, Google it. You owe it to yourself. Man, that is like real rap music. Turn them pants around where their pockets are in the front, man. That is real music right there, Crisscross. So, um, I can't throw too many stones at teenagers that are going through their changes because when I was a teenager, I did the same thing. Okay, that, you know, I wanted to be a rocker. And we like this band called Kiss. Anybody remember Kiss? You know, the, the face paint. Okay, that's me in the middle on the picture there. It's like, I wanted to be Gene Simmons. You know, I just, that, was, that was what I wanted to be. Um, but it, it could have worked out if I could just play an instrument and sing at all, but I can't. So it didn't, didn't work out at all. And I went through like a, a kicker phase and a rocker phase, a trivia rocker. And then like, um, I wanted before, you know, God blessed me with a rowdy beard I wanted like one of those Magnum P.I. mustaches. Anybody remember Magnum P.I., right? Uh, all the girls are like, woo, right on, amen. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a good thing. I wanted one of those mustaches, but it didn't work out for me, you know, you know, as a teenager. I, I couldn't really grow a mustache at that time in my life. But when I went through puberty, my eyebrows just got bushy. I don't know why. I wanted the mustache. I, I wish I could have moved it down to here, but my eyebrows got bushy. And kids would ask me, like, what are you rubbing Rogate on your forehead or something like that? You know, what's going on with that? those eyebrows? You know, they look like those bushy caterpillars, you know, doing the wave or whatever. But that was what happened with me. And this is me just trying to find my identity, you know? We all do it. But here's the thing. The culture doesn't get to tell us what our identity is. Social experimenters don't get to tell us who we are, but the word of God, the book of Ephesians is where we find our identity. This is one of the places, see, we read through it and see what it's all about. And uh, before we look into the the Bible today, um, I wanted to mention that we gave you guys these little books of Ephesians and we ran out of them. So too many people wanted them. And so we, we gave them all away. But if you have one from last week, you got your stamps in the back. You get a stamp every week where you, you come. And it's not like a loyalty program where you get enough stamps and you get an ice cream or something like that. But rather, you really just get this. And we want you to continue coming back from week to week as we study chapter by chapter through this little letter from Paul to the Ephesians. Now, one of the questions we're asking every single week during this series is, why should we trust the Bible? Why would you trust that the Bible is historically accurate for our lives, and you know, uh, historically, is it just a book full of fairy tales and myths? Well, this week I'm going to show you one of the reasons I trust the Bible, and it's because of archaeology. And I brought today a picture of the Hittite capital, and this was a significant archaeological find. And the reason is, is because archaeologists and historians used to say that the Hittite people mentioned in the early parts of the Bible in Genesis 15 were just a mythical group of people, that they were not historic. Until archaeologists found the Hittite capital, they found it in Bogotskoy, Turkey, and it records their entire civilization, and they unearthed the entire capital of the Hittites, just as the Bible told us all along. 
I like this kind of stuff. So can I tell you another one? I'm going to show you one of the, what's called the Ibla tablets. Okay. There were a lot of them. And the reason that this is a significant archaeological find is because the, the name Canaan was thought to not have been used at the time period in history in which the Bible in Genesis mentions it. And so what people thought was that the Bible books that wrote about the name Canaan actually were written much later than what we had thought. They thought it wasn't right. They also thought that the cities of Sodom, Gomorrah, and Haran mentioned in the Bible were mythical and not real until we found the Ibla tablets that record every single one of these things as facts, historic, just as the scriptures teach us. So we can not only trust that it's historic, archaeology continues to dig up things that show us the reliability and historicity of the scriptures. It's not just historical, but it's helpful for our lives. See, we can trust it when we live within it, the identity that it teaches us that um, our lives will be according to God's plan. And look, I'm going to show you one more picture, and this is the Temple of Diana, because we're going to Ephesus today. And the Temple of Diana, one of the wonders of the ancient world, was located there in Ephesus. We're talking about a historic place with historic people, real people, real problems that are similar to ours. And look, the Temple of Diana was one of the wonders of the world. People would come from all over to go to this temple. You can see the ruins if you wanted to go to Asia Minor today and look at the, the remains there of the Temple of Diana and the artist's rendering is next to it, showing us what it looked like back in the day and what people would do. They would come from miles around to worship Diana, the fertility goddess. And what they would do is um, they would sacrifice animals. They practiced ceremonial prostitution, and they would sell these little shrines that were pornography shrines. Basically, they didn't have devices to look at their porn, so they made little statues or little shrines to do it. And what happened was is that uh, because of all these wild and pagan religious practices, the Ephesians received in themselves false identities. Has anybody besides me ever had a friend with a fake ID? Anybody? You can raise your hand. You're safe here, okay? Anybody know someone with a fake ID at any point? Yeah, okay. Thank you. I, I have too, okay? And uh, you're sinners. But uh, anyways, just kidding. So I have these friends that they would make these fake ID so they could go buy beer, right? And then when they go to the convenience store one time, one of them went and the convenience store clerk's like, wait a minute, that's not a real driver's license. You totally cut that thing apart and put your picture in there. They got busted. But basically what people were doing is they're not living in their real identity, but they're trying to create one, see? And what we've learned in this series, we've been challenged by Ephesians chapter four, verse one, where Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, see? So as a series big idea, we've said, live up to your identity. Because some of us have been living down here beneath who God made us to be. And this series is us saying, hey, let's step up into our real identity in Christ. And so last week, we saw in chapter one of Ephesians that you're chosen, that you've actually been chosen by God when you're in Christ. And today, what we're going to see is that you're a masterpiece. I'm a masterpiece in Christ. So what I'd like you to do now is turn to someone next to you, and I want you to tell them, you, my friend, are a masterpiece. Go ahead. 
I just helped someone's marriage just now, man. That was good. You're a masterpiece. And I got this from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so that word workmanship in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, it's a word poema. And poema, in some translations of the Bible, they'll translate it masterpiece. And the one that we're looking at, the ESV, it's translated workmanship. But it's the word from which we get our English word poem. And it's like a piece of literary workmanship. That is what a poema is. That is what a masterpiece or workmanship is. And I'm going to show you today five facets of being a masterpiece in Christ. And the first thing you got to understand is that before you were a masterpiece, you were a piece of work. Okay. That's number one. Masterpiece used to be a piece of work. And we get this from Ephesians chapter two, verse one through three. Look at it with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So a lot of us, man, our lives were like chaos before, right? We were a piece of work, including myself. And if you hang around here long enough, you'll hear some of my shenanigans from the past. So a lot of us in this tribe, including myself, we were like potheads, crackheads, deadheads, methheads, addicts, prostitutes, adulterers, thieves, twilight fans, even people who think wrestling is real, you know, people who text while they're driving, women who get paid in $1 bills and wear clear heels and guys that walk around at the gym wearing those Daisy Duke shorts, singing Bon Jovi's living on a prayer right on. Even those people that like invented and wear those lycra tight biking shorts, you know, uh, as well as people who don't like Star Trek or Star Wars. Even some of us were people who didn't recycle and uh, people that don't know any of the stuff I'm talking about because these subjects were not covered on that show, Little House on the Prairie or in your homeschool co-op, you know? So look, we're all at some point before we were a masterpiece, we were a piece of work, weren't we? We know it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the truth is that even though we may have this layer of dust and dirt around us, there's something more inside us. Can I show you a picture of the Queen Dynasty vase? And this vase I'm showing you that we're putting up, uh, Emmy or Josiah or someone put it up there so you could see it. And this vase was found under a layer of dust and dirt in an attic near London. And when they got it out, they had to carefully, gently clean it off, you know? And then when it went to market, to auction, you know what? How much they got for this vase? $96.5 million. And can I tell you, even though we were a piece of work, it's just the dust and dirt that are layers around us. God sees something that's precious and valuable, see? But how did we get from piece of work to masterpiece? Well, we didn't do it on our own. The vase didn't find itself. Someone found it. And so here's number two, a grace gift. 
It's how we make the exchange. It's a grace gift. Go with me to one of the most famous verses in the New Testament of the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift from God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast here. See, so um, when you're um, receiving salvation or, you know, some people call being saved or salvation, um, that, that's what they're talking about is receiving a love relationship with God. That's what, what it means in case you're new to church. And so what are you being saved from? Well, sure, we're being saved from sin, but we're being saved from spiritual death. The reason we sin is because we're dead spiritually. Go to Ephesians 2, 1, where Paul says, and you were, what, dead in the trespasses and sins, see? So if someone stops breathing, if someone chokes or someone stops breathing, there's nothing they can do to bring themselves back. Someone has to give them CPR, right? You, you can't save yourself. And look, here's the faith that saves. The faith that saves us is when we just breathe in the breath of God's grace, the breath that God supplies. See, That's why I want to lead us in a little breathing exercise. And so it'll go like this. We'll just say, by grace, I'm saved and inhale. And then we'll say through faith and exhale. Ready? Let's try it together. By grace, I'm saved through faith. Let's do it one more time. By grace, I'm saved through faith. Doesn't it feel good to just stop and breathe for a minute, knowing that our every breath is a gift from God and that we're saved when we just receive his grace by faith. We're all putting our faith in something. And what's important is the object of your faith. You ever hear people talk about religious people and they say, oh, you must be a person of faith. You must be a woman of faith or a man of faith. But the truth is everybody's a person of faith. It's what you put your faith in that's significant. You know, you're sitting in a chair right now. You're exercising faith. When you go to a restaurant, you're exercising faith that the chef is not going to poison you. That's why I like to watch those behind the kitchen door shows and stuff. I want to know. I want to know who's got cockroaches back in the kitchen, you know? <laughs> when you go over a bridge, you're exercising faith that the bridge is going to hold you. When you put your money in the bank, you're exercising faith that that money is going to be there when you need to withdraw it. So the object of your faith is what's most important. And some of you were raised in religious environments where you were taught that you have to go through the, like the church membership class in order to earn your way into love relationship with God. It's like, once I get through all the classes and stuff, then I'm in. No. Some of you were thought, you know, you had to take your first communion or be sprinkled, baptized, sprayed or dunked or whatever in order to earn your salvation to be saved. No, no, it doesn't work that way. Some of you thought, hey, I have to count the religious beads or I have to pray to a statue or something like that. No, the object of your faith must be Jesus and Jesus alone. And it can't be a religious leader like me. It can't be a pastor like me. Look, it doesn't matter who your pastor, priest, rabbi, or Jedi is. The object of our faith that saves is Jesus. It's him and him alone and not some guy like me. I'm just a guy, right? 
So the object of our faith is important. But if you have a masterpiece or a work of art, why do you have it? Well, the reason you have it is to show it off. And that's number three. Why would God save us? He wants to show us off. Go with me to Ephesians chapter two, verse seven. The reason he saved us is so that in the coming ages, he might, what's that next word? Does anybody? Show. That he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, you're looking at me confused. Is the right verse up there? It's not. Okay, just trust me. And if you go in your little Ephesians book, it's a Ephesians 2, 7. That he wants to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. And so you display works of art that you're proud of. Now, I brought my favorite piece of art today in our home. And this decanter is proudly on display in a window in our living room. And it's kind of a transom window up high so our cats can't jump up there and get it, you know. But this decanter is a replica of the Tower of the Americas. When you walk outside these doors and look up, you see the most iconic building in the San Antonio skyline. And I love San Antonio. And this was made back in the 60s. And there were a limited number of these created. The only people that got these decanters were people that actually worked on the Tower of the Americas to build it. So it's, it's pretty unique. I mean, people can't just get these, see? Um, and you know one of the reasons I love it is because you can't have it. Okay, you, can, you can't get one, right? And the only reason I got one is because one of my best friends gave me this for my birthday one year. And so not only is it significant to me because it's very unique and I love what it, the way it looks and I love what it represents because I love San Antonio, but one of my best friends, we have such a great relationship. We're lifelong friends and the giver means as much as the gift to me. In fact, when I brought this in this morning, I was actually nervous to even bring it into the service. And I'm kind of nervous that it's so high up because if I like accidentally bump this or something and I told all the crew that was up on stage, I'm like, look, you guys be careful with that thing because if someone knocks this over, it's like, and Gideon is right there. And I'm thinking, oh no, Gideon's right there. And, and what if Gideon knocks it over? You know, it's going to be like, I'm going to lose my pastoral nature for just a minute if someone knocks this thing over. And you know, that's the way God feels about you. It's like, that's why in this life, when someone hurts you, he's not happy about it. He said, if you cause one of these little ones of mine to stumble, it's better for you that you have a millstone tied around your neck and you be cast into the sea. I'm not talking about someone who disagrees with you. I'm talking about someone that really hurts you because he values you so much as such a great work of art. Now, let me put this thing down here. Stay. Now. I believe I'm one of the most privileged people in the world. And you know why? Not because, you know, I'm, I'm not a wealthy man, but I'm privileged because I know you and some of your stories. And I get to watch the master artists of all the universe unearth you as his masterpieces. And I watch what he's doing in your life. And I see that it's so beautiful. And I, can't help but just gaze and wonder sometimes at some of you and what God's doing in your lives because it's so precious. It's so valuable and it needs to be on display. And look, can I tell you, 
Sometimes some of you are giving your bodies to people that are not committed to you in marriage. And you're worth more than that. Don't just give it away to anybody. Step up to your identity in Christ and the value that you have in his eyes. Now, one of the things you got to understand about works of art is that price reveals value, doesn't it? Has anybody besides me ever put like something on Craigslist or offer up or eBay or something and you put it on there at this good price and then I get mad because no one wants to pay my price? Anybody? It's like a garage sale, you know? No one wants to pay $1,500 for my grandma's plate, okay? I don't know why. Because price uh, reveals the value. Go with me to Ephesians 2.16 and we'll see our value to God, what he paid. Christ reconciled both groups, that is the Jews and the Gentiles, to God by means of his death on the cross. Your relationship with God was not free. It was free to you, but it wasn't free to him. He had to pay with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. And I brought a picture of a 1635 Rembrandt painting, Minerva in her study. And the dealer said he would let the public view this work of art for four weeks. And he put it for sale and he gave people four weeks to just look at it. This is one of the most significant works of art that's been out there on the market in a long time. And you know how much it sold for? $46 million, right? Now, my favorite Rembrandt is the return of the prodigal son. And when people look at this one, they value it these days at around $300 million. It's quite a lot for a painting, isn't it? What I want you to understand is that these things are worth nothing compared to what was paid for you. There's nothing more precious or more valuable than the blood of Jesus. That's how God sees you, how valuable you are to him. And so let's step up and live according to the value that we hold in his eyes. And look, even if you've not believed yet, you have what's called the Imago Dei in you. Even if you don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, you just came here with your girlfriend or, you know, some friend or something like that. You don't believe all this stuff. Well, you have the Imago Dei, which is the image of God in you. That is why he's such a creator. You enjoy creating however you like to create. Because of the Imago Dei is flowing through you. A lot of people get in contact with that in all the different forms of expressing art. That's why I like what Michael Graves said. He's an artist. and He said, it's when art comes down from the wall that things get really interesting. Isn't that the truth? There's a lot of different forms of art. It's not just painting and drawing and all that. And can I ask you, how many of you consider yourselves an artist? Just raise your hand real quick. How many you, go ahead and get them up. Be proud of it. It's okay. It's cool. Okay. Okay. Some of us, some of us are like, some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, some of you are like, nope, not doing that. Not participating. Just want to say here. Okay. And a lot of you just think, I'm not an artist. And I think that's sad. And the reason I think it's sad is because you have God DNA in you, whether or not you believe, and it's being robbed of you. It's like Gordon McKenzie. He was this artist for Hallmark, and he wrote this book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And he said, I think what, what's happening is that you're being tricked out of one of the greatest gifts every one of us receives at birth. That is the gift of being an artist, a creative genius. See, all of us can be 
creative geniuses in some capacity. And part of what elevates your living out your identity as a masterpiece is when you have an encounter or an experience of God's nearness. That's number five, experiences of God's nearness. Go with me to Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the reason that I like this next iteration of the return of the prodigal son painting is because it shows the heart of the father in bringing the son who had been wallowing in the dirt, in the mud, in the dust, and the father brings him back and brings him close to his chest. This is God's nearness. This is God's heart for you and I. In fact, last week we saw in Ephesians where Paul prayed for us, and he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's why here at church, we're not just studying to just gain knowledge, and we don't you know, try and get up and impress people with, with all of our knowledge because we want to pray that our hearts would be enlightened. Sure, our minds have to be enlightened, but so do our hearts to understand how near God wants to be to us. If you read through the whole of the scripture, the big story there is God wanting to be nearer to you. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the whole story is about God trying to be near to us because he just can't stand it when he's not near to us. He came in the tabernacle. If you read the Old Testament, you read about this tabernacle where they worshiped and they set it up. It was like a tent and God lived in there in the Holy of Holies and then in the temple. So he was in a place in like a building among his people, but that wasn't enough for him. So Jesus came to earth and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us, the scripture teaches. We got to see him walk around. We got to see God incarnate. But you know what? That wasn't even enough. He wanted to be nearer. So Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And at Pentecost, he sent his Holy Spirit to live where? Inside of us. See? Isn't it? It's, it's not just about him being in a building. And it's not even about us being able to see him in the flesh. It's about him being inside of us. That's what he wants. That's the level of nearness and intimacy he wants. This is his heart for you. Maybe you didn't ever know that. And you know, there's a friend here today who's growing in his nearness to God. And I wanted to ask Jeremy if he would come on up. And so as Jeremy is working his way up here, uh, Jeremy in recent years was living outside of his real identity. He was living in ways that he knew better than that were beneath him. He was living in his fake ID, if you will. But he had enough of it. And he wanted to come allow God to be nearer to him. So he checked himself into rehab. And right now he's going through our recovery for everyone, which is called Cultivate. And you know what happens when you start cultivating freedom? in your life, like we see on the wall there, is that the great artist starts channeling creativity through you, and he gives you a new song, see? So God has given Jeremy a new song called Masterpiece, and we asked him, Sadie asked him if he would bring it and share it with us today. So would you guys join and give me a rowdy welcome to Jeremy King?
That's pretty good, isn't it? And can I tell you that the same old love that reached out to Jeremy reaches out to some of you today. And you may be in a place outside of your identity and you've never had love relationship with God and you want one today and you sense this loving God that's drawing you to himself. What do you say we talk to him and you can invite him into your life today? And so let's bow for prayer. And as we bow before the Lord, if you've never had a love relationship with God and you want one, I just want you to talk to him in your own heart and mind now and say something like this. God, look, I know I've been under the dust of sin. I've been spiritually dead. And right now, the best I understand it, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. He took the punishment for me there and he rose again from the dead to give me new life. The object of my faith is you, Jesus. Welcome into my life. And if you just prayed that or if you've known that for many, many years, I want you to look on screen and let's make a declaration of identity together out loud. Shall we? This will be like our prayer to God. Here we go. Ready? Out loud. God, I embrace my identity in Christ. I'm no longer a piece of work. I'm your masterpiece on display. I'm a trophy of your grace. All glory to Jesus. Would you guys join me in thanking Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We have no idea why, but thank you, Jesus. Man, he's so good to us. I, we just can't thank him enough. And as we wrap up today, I want you to know that we'll, be, we'll have some prayer leaders here in the front of the stage and outside to pray with you if you need prayer from someone before you leave today. Now, next week, we're going to keep studying through Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter 3 where we're going to see the power that he gives us. So next week, we'll see... Uh, that you've got the power, I've got the power of God in us. And uh, one other thing I want to remind you about is our worship through our generosity and stewardship. And people ask, well, where do I start in terms of generosity? With God, it's not like you just tip God, but you tithe God. And so there's this principle that a lot of us have seen where, where we go as a starting point to say, hey, I'll start with 10% here on this, and then I'll go from there, and I'll say, Holy Spirit, whatever you want me to do. Now, if you're not a Christian, don't buy into this. You're new here. We're not begging for your money, and don't feel comfortable. Take a guilt pass, man. We're not trying to heep any of that on you or do some dysfunctional thing, you know. We're not going to tell you that, you know, if you give money at the church that he's going to give you a Hummer or, a, you know, a Ferrari or something. It's not like that, but um, sometimes you give it, and you just get the blessing of knowing that God is doing a great work. You know, you saw some of the work that your tithe dollars have done. You just saw it in Jeremy. What do you think he's worth? You people are so valuable to God. And you have to understand that's why we give our resources sacrificially to see people like Jeremy changed. You know, his family's here. Anybody from the family proud of Jeremy? Yes, they are. That's worth something, isn't it? That's worth our investment financially because of people. And I don't want you to forget that. In an age where religious guys, you know, manipulate people to take their money and fly around on Lear jets and stuff like that, don't you forget what it's really about. It's about seeing people served, loved, 
and changed by the gospel. There are four ways we get that done here at City Tribe Church. Um, you can you know, mail your, your tithes and offerings in. You can text them if you do everything by text message. You can go to the giving stations that are located near the exits of the theater. And you can also go to our website on your phone or mobile device, whatever device. You go to citytribe.church slash tithe, T-I-T-H-E. Got it? So let's stand up together. And before you guys worship through your financial stewardship, since I was talking about poema, workmanship, masterpiece today, um, we got our word poem from it, so I thought it's only appropriate that I write a poem for you guys today for the benediction. So there won't be a beat to it, right? Okay, remember, this is like white guy poem, okay? This is not, I'm not a rapper. My, my, pant, my, my pant pockets aren't in the front, you know, nothing like that. So just a, a poem and put out a hand of position to receive. And this poem is called Jesus Putting on a Show. So Jesus is putting on a show. He's helping this tribe to grow in identity. His masterpieces are on hand. He thinks you're really grand. You can't be snatched from his hand. So take your stand as a trophy of grace. This space is devoted to those hiding under the dirt, dust, and mire of sin. God gets a big old grin when he reaches out to save. He dances in and pulls you from the grave of spiritual death. Come alive by faith. No more fake IDs around here. You're in the clear to embrace your real identity. This is so much more than serendipity. It's your destiny. Jesus is putting on a show, and he wants all the angels to know just how much his heart is set aglow with wild passion for you. So go from here and tell your whole crew the good news that Jesus is still putting on shows. He's displaying those who know the truth of the cross and resurrection. We're jaywalking in the grace intersection. No need to call the police. Tell your aunt, uncle, nephew, and niece, I'm his masterpiece. Shalom, peace, y'all. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye now. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, Check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.